So we're going to be uh, continuing on in our study, cleverly, not politically, build back biblically, beautifully. That's the title for today, build back biblically, beautifully. And so we want to see revelation that the Lord gives us in his word. And by the way, in Proverbs 29, 19, without vision or revelation, the people perish, or it as well implies they just go in any direction, that either fear drives them or failure. And so that's a good word to be established in because decisions are being made by all of us, aren't they? And so we know that David gave Solomon his son an assuring word. And it was up to Solomon to be able to take that word, own it, and live it out. When we see that in obedience, men and women carry that out to its fruition, they have a legacy of fruitfulness. Carrying it out to fruition, they have a legacy of fruitfulness. We fumble. There are mistakes that we make. We can be indeed ordained and touched by God with wisdom that he will grant us upon request. But we can also be, at any given moment in time, under different persuasions, foolish. We can be faithful in wisdom and we can be foolish. And so one of the things that we need to separate is that Solomon does represent pictorially a picture of the kingdom age. And even though we will see some failures that the Lord allows to be cited, as he did with Adam, as he did with Moses, as he did with Joshua, every single one of them, the only exception we have so unnoted would be with the life of Joseph and of Daniel. No failures mentioned there, just faithfulness to fruition. And so that's what we're going to take a look at again. So I'm going to address you to be back in 1 Kings, and I think we're in 10, just working our way through it. Let me find that out. Sometimes people, as a result of vocation or activities that they may be involved in, um, in the community, they do take off. So don't presume that they're just walking out on me. They've already let me know. If I thought that would be true, I would have a box of tomatoes and work on pitching. But uh, no, there, there's a, you know, there are reasons that people do leave. That could be that I have taught them. <laughs> and they're telling on me, but um, I just wanted to let you know, and that may be necessary for some of you as well, things you gotta do. I also want you to footnote for yourselves, First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 19. I'll be using that to correlate things that we will be looking at, and it's not 10, that was another section of scripture that I do in the midweek in Matthew. You're invited to be a, a part of that teaching in Matthew. It's a great series that we're doing. We do the same thing. Even though you're hearing titles, I'm basically doing that as a poet, as an artist, trying to capture a theme that may very well be addressed through the teaching. But the Lord works also beyond the title to the core, to the heart, in what he's wanting to personally challenge us in. And I always say, even if you don't think you're getting anything, you are getting a bath. You're being washed in the water of the word. You can leave assured that if you didn't get anything from me, the Lord still gave you a bath, okay? And so that's an awesome word to be washed in his word. And so where we will pick it up will be in chapter five. And in particular, I'm gonna do a quick tag on 34. But if you do like to have titles to help you in what may be a theme that the Lord is pinning on your heart, Build back biblically, beautifully. That would have been the better campaign speech of the Democratic Party. 
I could say that would be the better campaign speech of the Republican Party, independence, the Patriot Party, whomever, wherever, the Evergreen Party, it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that that is the way to have ultimately the best possible outcome is to do something for God in the position that he has given to you that is biblically centered without compromise and that you get to see as a result of that a beautiful work of God orchestrating the things that he leaves you in charge of. Those charges that he leaves us, if you would, in position to do, last week we said are administrative. When you come in and enjoy a church where you get to sit and coffee that's being served, water that's available, the things that we take for granted, light that allows us to see, music that I believe you would have to say was awesome, and it is. Every week I believe that we do a wonderful, beautiful job in worshiping the Lord, in part because we have a choir, that's your position. We have scholars, that's your position. We have servants, that's your position. And that's the position of people that you don't even see here when you come into the place. But all of this is saying is that as we look in the scriptures and we see things being done well and without consequence, and it is biblical, we can say beautiful. I used to be amazed at my brother. So 13 years my senior, so he's definitely senior. Uh, 77 right now? Is that right? 78? Yeah, Dave. But he was a soccer coach. And so for some of you, you've been soccer coaches. I never have. I, it wouldn't look pretty on the field. It just wouldn't work well with me. But Dave was a soccer coach. And I always used to be really impressed with him. He was highly encouraging to his team, all of them. And he'd walk the sideline and it would kind of just split. Referees would kind of move from it. I never heard my brother yell, interestingly enough. I've been to soccer matches and it's like, my goodness, are you trying to bring the stands down? Parents, you know, uh, at any rate. But this is what Dave, I would hear in his language. Beautiful, beautiful, lovely, lovely. That's lovely, beautiful. That's how he would encourage his team to move into positions and to take that ball where it needed to go. His corrections were always, you got it. Stay on it. You're doing well. There you go. Lovely. Beautiful. Lovely. Those words just echo. When I went to his soccer games, it was never screaming. It was, come on, ref, don't you have eyes? <laughs> well, maybe they don't. That would make it rather brutal to say that. But the coach, the one who was in charge of these lives, who had positions on the field, were being encouraged by language, which was not only beautiful, but highly motivational. So I say that. Does God give us language that is both suitable for the building up of our lives as he moves us into the positions, if you would, on the field, wherever you're at right now, and does so in a manner in which you are not harmed, you are blessed, you're helped. Just food for thought. Doesn't mean correction doesn't come, but I wonder how often God says, oh, the language that I was using to your heart was sufficient to redirect you just as I pleased myself to do. And oh, you could not bear it. You wanted to hear another voice. You succumbed to a different impression rather than my language. Beautiful, lovely, awesome. Keep it up. Head down the field. Pull back. Solomon right now is learning, both with the anointing of wisdom upon him, to listen to the voice of God 
and to always be in remembrance of his father's legacy, of being a very sensitive hearer of the Lord. And if insensitivity was not prevailing and consequence was, David was quick to be noted as one to correct so that he might be wisely directed by the Lord. Let's pick it up with this note. It says in this verse, 34, and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. They came to hear it as kings from all nations globally will appear before the Lord in the place of his dwelling in Jerusalem in that millennium period. There will be none who will be avoiding Jerusalem. That was in 34 of now where we're picking it up in chapter 5 of 1 Kings where we left off. Now Hiram, it says in verse 1, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. I want to be able to stop there for a moment, that in the legacy of faith, there are people that love you by those who have preceded you. Did you know that? Others have given you a reputation by how they devotionally followed and loved the Lord. And you're the beneficiary of it. You may say, I don't hear much of that. I don't see much of that. And I don't feel really like that. That's irrelevant. God has done something special by someone upline from you that by their reputation, you have been recipients of blessings. Let's say you can't come up with one name that links you with that. Would the sufficiency of Jesus do well for you? He's upline from you. He preceded you. He made you. Do you realize that you, on his merit alone, and by people who don't even know you, would serve to be a blessing to you regardless if you can't even think of one person on earth, even in your family, that would have been responsible for blessings that you have. Jesus is. Biblical? How could you get more biblical than Jesus? To take your life right now and to build back biblically that renders beautifully an outcome that God always intended. You may say, you're getting all of that out of that verse? How'd you do that? It's implied, and part of it is because I want you to see that there are pictures that do unfold. As the favor of men was upon me and my twin brother and my second eldest brother and my eldest brother, my middle brother, Jim, who's in heaven now, we know that many of the things that we experienced were blessings from the heritage of our parents my dad both being military and a scholar. His reputation preceded my twin brother and my second eldest brother as Marines. Don, my second eldest, Lieutenant Colonel, flew the A6 intruder. Robert, who followed Don in the Marine Corps, and actually they spent time together at times as aviators and grunts can do if they're in the same area Locationally, I think they spent a year in Okinawa together. But Robert moved all the way up the chain of command wearing all of my father's ranks to colonel. Both of those men had been marked by my father's reputation. And though that was not in any way political, those who had positions of authority in higher positions as Marines, they never forgot my father and they took note of my brothers who all had to prove themselves on the merit of who they were presently, not who preceded them, but who preceded them was highly influential in the look that they received to be 
scrutinized in their skill set. They passed in that scrutiny. And so I've marveled at that. I've marveled at the fact that even Dave, who had an opportunity based on my father's reputation to delay to move into college during Vietnam, said, no, my generation's going, so I'm going. And so he, in a different mindset, refused to go to college that he would serve his country in a foreign land in a very, very difficult time of war for the United States. Very difficult, very sad time in the 60s. Camp on that, not my story that I just shared, but that a reputation has preceded you. And the Lord certainly should be one highly praised for that. Because I can look out and see that in the relationship you have with God, I have become a beneficiary in many ways, so many ways, as a pastor, as a friend, as an educator, good neighbor. It's a joy to see that, and you're responsible for it. As I said, you're here because of hands and hearts that loved God and gave themselves over to the work of God. And so what you enjoy is not me. I'm only a part of it. As this moves on, dedicating this reputation that David had, and so pronounced and profound was it that Hiram comes and says, man, I loved your father. What do you have need of? And he sends his servants, and in verse 2, Solomon gives an email back to him or of some type of communicate. This is what he says. You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. My dad was a combat vet. Well, my dad really was a combat vet. Solomon's in. My dad was a combat vet. And because of that, even though solely devoted to the Lord, in this he could not satisfy what his heart wanted to do, was to build a place for God. So this is what Solomon continues to say, but now the Lord my God has given me rest. On every side there is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. We aren't able really to say that, are we? We see published every single day and voiced on radio evil occurrences. Just the ugliness of fallen humanity that in its arrogance and its godlessness has become despicable in behavioral activities highly offensive to God, discouraging to people that want to live in civility and to have peace. It's difficult, isn't it? But just because we don't see it per se culturally multiplied over in the best sense of what God wants a community and a country to function in does not mean that we do not have the peace of God, which for us, is a sustainer and an encourager. We are able to say, Lord, thank you for your peace, which surpasses my understanding in a time in which everyone has an opinion and everyone's opinion is right in their own eyes. Lord, build back. In what manner? Biblically. In my life, in my culture, in my home, Beautifully, I know that if you do it your way, and I am obedient to that way, there is beauty that awaits me. There is fruitfulness that I will taste of. Lord, build it back your way. I appreciated learning the Hebrew and to sing it. It's a beautiful language. It takes a lot of work. It's a very complex language. But I appreciated it. I remember that in endeavoring to sing it, I was simply overcome by, hey, we are singing Hebrew. How do you like that? 
I mean, let's now go to Israel next. That's the, we're just all going to Israel. How could that be? I don't know. Build back beautifully, Lord. The Lord can do it. He can take us back there. He can do the things that we cannot do, as he's doing right now. But in this, Solomon acknowledges the heritage of his father. And Hiram is linking the work of the son to the love that he had for his father. Do you link the work of the son to the love that others have for the father, our heavenly father, our Lord and savior, the son of God. It's a beautiful picture actually of life the way it should be. The father receiving honor from the people of God who pay tribute to his son who gave his life for us. And that who has guaranteed us that will surpass anything we read in here of a kingdom age that will come in advance of an eternal time of complete perfection and remake. The problem with fantasy movies and novels is they get us numb to actually what would have been one of the most inspiring thoughts ever that one day I get out of this mess and I move into perfection in the twinkling of an eye. And it is real, and it needs to be voiced, and we need to claim it. There are people that daily are being claimed in what is the casualty of the events of life in some calamitous accident or by default of the body saying, it's not working any longer, it's, my tent is caving in. We all will see that and hear it. We have in this church. It's not God's fault. That's simply from the fallout, and we need to be understanding that. God's not to blame. He's to be applauded for what provision he has made to those who are exercising faith and who have said to the day that they departed, Lord, build back better. Not Biden's, but biblically, beautifully. That's the only way that we can build back better is biblically. And beautifully, because that's God's assurance on it. Moving back into this, the salutations that are being exchanged right now, adversaries and evil occurrences that doesn't exist right now. I live in a season of great peace. You need to say, I live in a season of great peace, though there's grievance and activities socially. I do not fully share that world. I live with my mindset on an eternal world that I am being prepared for. I possess my peace on all sides of evil occurrences and adversarial attacks. How much does Satan get credited for adversarial attacks as opposed to God being applauded for defense of us in those attacks, provision through promises that he's given to us? It's just something to consider. Verse 5 says, And behold, I propose to build a house of the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. It continues. Now, therefore, command that they cut down cedars for me, from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. So they're outside of, if you would, the area of the Jewish proper. The Sidonians are a people group. In other words, David reached out across the lands. He bridged gaps politically. He made friendships very astutely, and he kept them. The Lord desires to do that through the church, bridging gaps, making friendships to a world that is not very friendly. What does it do? 
those friendships that the church makes, not to be conformed to the world, but actually in friendships compel the world to become friends with God, they have a payback. They have what is called the voluntary desire to bring what it was once their priority into the things that are eternal, to prioritize the work of God in the placement of themselves within the family of God. It's a very phenomenal thing when you see people just, I want to do this for the Lord. I want to go there. Or I want to be right where I'm at. I want to be a part of the choir. I want to sit before the teaching of God's word. For me, in all of the years that I had avoided what I knew in my heart, I wanted both to do but neglected to do when my decision had come to put myself immersed in the church, I didn't want to do anything other than to sit studying the Bible from a teacher that I respected and loved greatly. Not even a clue that I would become closer to that pastor than I ever thought possible, but would get to know his brother who became a dear friend of mine. But it started because the passion of building back my life, the way that God wanted it built back, started by a hunger and thirst for righteousness and just to be in the counsel of God's word. And I couldn't get enough of it and still would say can't get enough of it, can't give it out enough. God began to build my life back. And I am so grateful that that honestly was my desire, my agreeable desire to have a life that was really doing nothing, bridging nothing, living all to itself with nothing to show except looking good, smelling good, and doing really no good. Not for God. Not for God. I was not in any way somebody that you would not desire to have as a friend. But for God could have done way better much earlier. Biblically, we build back for the outcome, which is beautifully guaranteed by God in seasons that are predicated on obedience. It's important to note that. Are we being obedient in this season to believe that beauty is both able to be seen but fruitfulness able to be tasted? We give thanks to the Lord. We praise his name. Solomon makes this appeal in the name of his father, saying, this was on my dad's heart. And he connected with God in a way that I'm just learning about. I was, giving, I was given wisdom, but my father was given the heart of a man who pursued God with all of his heart. I'm learning that, but far from it. Those aren't quotes but they are what I believe could be emoted. Solomon realizing his father didn't have the wisdom that he had, but he had a heart that Solomon had not yet secured. And when you see somebody that has a heart for God that you have not yet secured, very motivational, not discouraging at all, unless you have trouble coveting that which right now God's delighted to give you but he works in the increments of obedience, serving and faithfulness, meekness, and with all that you have to joyously render to the Lord the gifts that he's given. Do you know that some people come on Sunday and one of the things that they would acknowledge as a pleasantry, as a gift, is coffee that comes into a cup that they didn't have to buy, coffee actually that they didn't have to contribute to at all, I'm being serious. Sometimes it's tea. Sometimes it's coffee. Sometimes it's just putting that cup underneath that spigot of water that gets filled every week. Some people say, that's cool. Who gives away coffee? We do. The Lord does. You may want a different coffee. Maybe it's time to consider that. Okay, Starbucks it is. Okay, we'll have a Dutch Brothers coffee stand back there. Is, would that mean that your relationship with God 
becoming closer and even better and richer. If it would, trust me, God would say, done. We're bringing the harbor stand over here. <laughs> be ready for traffic. <laughs> it's going to be walk-in only, not drive-in. There's none like the Sidonians. None like the Sidonians. We have a good friend that I've known for over 20 years, but I have a lot of good friends. I'm simply saying that a good friend who I've cleverly labeled the concretion, <laughs> it's a special people group that I've discovered. Because I know of him and knew his father who loved the Lord, raised a family of siblings that loved the Lord. You know, we've ended up now in the course of 20 years meeting up again. And I have to at times be discreet, and I try to be. But meaning his vocational gifting is following in his father's footsteps, which was doing stuff with cement or concrete. And he has the artistic gifting that I've heard is measures beyond where his father was. Both great men. But I say that because don't be surprised if what God has done to you based on a generational preparation that he's given to you becomes outstandingly noted among those who you never knew, but whom your father established a gifting and talent in you, and you're going, wow, who would have thought that? The word is funny to me because I don't think it exists as a word, but it sounds just so awesome. The Sidonians, they've got nothing over the concretions. There's concrete work being done in our house, <laughs> if you wanted to know. That's, and it's artistic, but it's practical. For Zachary, it started off with a vision. How can we take a mountain and make it accessible and workable for him? But this brother also sees stuff in other things. And then there are other guys that are being brought that I also want to give names to. These names that just like describe the giftings that they operate in. You know, we have those kinds of people in carpentry and electrical and agricultural. And they've done that because the Lord has inspired that in them. The Lord's inspiring things in you. And he says, willing hearts, anyone? I gave you the heart. Are you willing to use it? So even though I, in a season right now, am a beneficiary, I know that your seasons parallel to mine or shall be equal or greater than mine. Guaranteed. Because the picture here is that this is the heart of God as a blesser. Moving from this area right now of what we would call the exchange, the hands across the water, the welcoming of this new season for Israel. In verse 7, So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly. Isn't that a cool mindset that basically the words that he's hearing is a compliment to what he had said about his father and what Hiram is saying with regard to his willingness to serve Solomon. And Hiram is just rejoicing that there would be an acknowledgement that what he has been given is appreciated and he can serve and will not be refused and Solomon will take care of those whom are being sent and with the supply. See, Hiram right now is actually, as a Sidonian, showing great spiritual heartbeat. There's no other explanation for it. It's not simply a bartering on business terms. It's that he's hearing the heart of David 
through the voicing of his son Solomon. And it's just saying, I, this is what I want to do. I want to go and be a part of this. When you sit here, you're essentially saying, I want to be a part of this. Apart, distant from it, it's not the same. A part of it, it feels right. It has the mark of the Spirit of God. I enjoy the personalities of the flock. I enjoy the generational work that I see in the spreading of families growing up in this church. When you saw this up here on stage, and Brett and Emma, when you saw them being prayed over, you're seeing a generational progression that is happening. Wyatt on lead guitar, a generational work as he married Shelby. You're seeing a transition that's happening of a labor force for God that happened because their heart beat for God. And he says, I can use that, and I'm going to pair you up, and now I use that. It's pretty awesome what you get to see. As a teacher, I can tell you it touches me. There's a part of me that says, no, 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 not this class. Don't touch this class, Lord. This is like, this is like the A class. <laughs> Did you ever see To Sir, Sir With Love with Sidney Poitier? Oh, yeah. Okay, if you're a teacher, it's a must-see. If you're a parent, it's actually a must-see. If you're one of those rebel students, you ought to see it too. <laughs> but it's a classic 60s film. A teacher goes over to England, and he's given one of the ruthless classes. They dislike him. They are disrespectful to him. And he hangs in there until love for them wins out in how he teaches them. It still can bring tears to my eyes because it's transformational. When I see the work in the church, I wish I could say, Lord, freeze this generation. Can't we just, as we are, grow old together? Well, Rich, that's a contradiction, actually, because in order to grow old, there has to be a progression. If I freeze them and you're saying grow old together, do you know how ugly that looks? <laughs> Nothing gets done. They just stay there and they get old. But if you'll allow me to make progress with them, truly a progressive party, you will see generation after generation parade across the stage and either filling the place with families that biblically will be beautiful or moving on to contribute to where beauty will be acknowledged. Wow, you came from there? Really? From that church to be in our work here? Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over his great people. And then Hiram, it says, sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the message which you have sent me. Is there a message that God's been giving you that you are to consider that has been sent to you? Do you realize that's one of the things that the pulpit is for? Not to beat you, but to present to you a word that can be sure. I always ask myself, what is the Lord saying to me in what it is I say? I'm as much a student of what I say, and actually there's not much I am able to say. People can ask me questions after the service, and I go, really? I said that? And it's not that I'm not prepared. What I'm saying is there are times in which how the Lord spoke to you comes back to me through their voicing, through their questioning, going, wow, that's, that's great. Consider this message which you sent me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and the cypress logs. My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. I will float them in rafts by sea to the place you indicate to me, and I will have them broken apart there basically split then you can take them away and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household he says food would be awesome that's what i work for is food 
that's a pretty big statement. You'll see that God's going to make provision for that to be amply addressed because of what we know based on what was on his table in the previous chapter. He's going to say that's not even going to be a problem. And so Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of pressed oil. Thus Solomon gave to Hiram year by year by year by year provision, year by year by year, never even having to question it. Because Solomon was a picture of perfect provision in a predictable time. Awesome. God's still that way, by the way. And so the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon. And the two of them made a treaty together. How nice it is to make treaties one to another that oblige God in a manner that complements what the Lord has done for both of us. It's a strength that unites, not in politics, but by the Spirit of God. And so he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoram was in charge of the labor force. So a couple of things here. You see God being gracious. Being a believer doesn't mean that it is not requiring of you work and at times very hard work. But what we see here is the work that they invested for the month was rewarded with two months of leave. And if you're a hard worker, that's like, wow, that's awesome. At times, we are not considerate of those important areas. We're worried about the medical and the dental, but the rest we kind of think, hmm, no big deal. I'd rather have medical and dental. And Lord said, I'd rather have you enjoy rest with me and revitalization for the hard work that earth does require. My kingdom being built, not for this time, but in a time soon to come. Rest in me. We're a restless group these days. Not getting a lot of rest. Have you had trouble getting rest these days? Melatonin's becoming a popular product. <laughs> To me, all you have to do is show me a pillow, and that works really good, or sunshine on just one portion of my face, and that works really good. But melatonin is saying, as you're pointing it out, is that we have a sleepless society because we're worried and we're fretting, and it does bug us what's going on. We want to see things changed. And why, if everything goes good for such a short season, does it have to end just because of that party, that person, that vision? Why can't it just be a vision that is in arguably the best vision? Okay, there you go. It's how God sees things and how God wants things done and how we ought to be a nation submitted to him and not political parties that are divisive and forging schisms that look at the worst of what each seemingly is representing as opposed to the best. There are some things never should be approved, ever at all, period. And they need to be changed. Abortion is one of them. But I don't preach about it every week. The Bible has said plenty concerning life. And no president, no senator, no congressman should ever be confused, nor an adjudicator, of when life begins. It begins at conception. You don't even have to stall on that one. If you're going to talk about science, any of us, at any time, that's science. That's when life begins, period. You don't need a heartbeat bill. You need to recognize when the sperm and the egg meet, life begins uniquely. And it will never be confused about what will they be when they come out, exactly what God purposed them to be. Because he builds things well. He builds the body well. And so all of these things are being put in order previously in administration without perspiration. But there's going to be hard work. And notice this. It's a labor force, not forced labor. Guess what you get to do? You get to be a part of a labor force. I never force people to be 
where they one don't want to be. I never challenge them thinking you're less than what God wants you to be. You know why? Because I found the happiest labor force are those who are not forced to labor, but they love to labor. Guess what? I let them go. Are there times in which I said, okay, can we do this? I never thought of it that way. Of course we could do it that way. That's awesome. And then they'll say, well, can we do it like this? And then I'll go, I never thought of it that way. Awesome. Let's do it that way. Because I don't force labor. I acknowledge a force of God in labor. And I just go, oh my goodness, God, you were awesome. And so whether you're a part of the choir, whether you are right now representing to me a classroom of students that are A students, you get the best grade possible, not failures. I'm just in awe. Did you know that being academically spiritual is a labor of the intellect and of the soul? You're changing because God's changing you in what you're hearing. Don't ever take lightly coming through those doors to sit before a teaching or to sit in choir practice. You're being prepared for heaven. God delights in that. What a force of labor to be here just going, oh, there's just something in me that wants to burst forth in price. Thanksgiving. Pictures, that's what these are. All of the provision right now, clear to the close of five. All of it there for Solomon to satisfy the vision that his father gives in Second Chronicles. It's a beautiful picture. It's First Chronicles. All this said David, verse 20 or 19 of 28. The Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the details of this pattern. And David said to his son Solomon, verse 20, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Here are the divisions, not divisions in the kingdom. Here are the duty assignments. I've thought of them as well, is essentially what he's saying, and he did. He will not leave nor forsake you. And when you work through, guess where you are? You're with him. He will not leave you for, nor forsake you. When it's done, you're with him, guaranteed. For the service of the house of the Lord. Please be in prayer for the service of the house of the Lord. It's time. It's a wonderful time to see the Lord inspire hearts to return to the house of God. You have a beautiful place here. God's done that for you. Do you know in May, on the 1st, that would have been our first time in here. Whatever... Sunday that was from one Sunday at Seascape to the next Sunday we're in here and this room was painted lights would come because we had an electrician very astute very gifted and he would study these things and we'd listen and we go really we can have light we can have light do you know how to do lights I know how to do lights where do we get lights I'll tell you and he would blueprint it and powerpoint it and we marvel because guess what you got? You got lights. Both being installed by people that all of a sudden became installers. Every single one of these bays had an intricate bulb that needed to be changed. Up the ladder, down the ladder, up the ladder, down the ladder, going back into that room. Light came because someone serving the Lord with his heart was a force of labor and inspired labor. But one of the things that I wanted to share with you as well closing is to be in prayer. What is the vision that God's doing with this church? So I believe that it is in preparation of continuing to build up the next generation. We want to see that. We need to see it. I oversaw years, almost a total of 11 years, 
a Bible school. It's called the School of Discipleship. And so I'm impressed once again to say it's time for us to see if the Lord has in this next season 18 to 25 year olds being summoned into a Bible school that we can have here. So if you would be in prayer, I want to make a connection with uh, one of the directors, actually the lead director for the Bible uh, school that's linked with Calvary Association. So there's two schools. There's Calvary Chapel Bible College. That's where Spencer went. That's where Chrissy went. That's where I went for a season until I failed. Um, so <laughs> bad boy, Richard, go back to Mexico. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and then Calvary Bible Institute, which is their focus has been outside of the United States. It's been in foreign missions, Israel. That's when I taught Daniel, it was in the Golan Heights. But what I'm asking you to do is to be in prayer that my presentation to that particular authority figure he would say would love to welcome you in would love to see how that goes for you i believe we have a facility that would gravitate towards that we have a beautiful place don't you think in this community and guess what you get to see you get to see amazing 18 to 25 year olds as you have seen as they've seen you equally amazing whatever age group you are down line up line i think i'm beyond the midpoint of my life right now but every single one of you has an opportunity to pray. We want to see a flow of the Spirit in a force of laboring academically out of love and devotion for the Lord to see what is God's plan in my life. And the benefit about being a part of something that's already in place is that I don't have to rework it. Curriculum, planning, I believe ours is looking at a nine-month school, totally into that because I taught for nine months out of a school year. So did Craig. We were nine-month professional teachers. So be in prayer about that. I think it would be Calvary Bible Institute of Brookings. I didn't think of the name. It's what the association determined would be their collegiate name as opposed to Calvary Chapel. Bible college, but I'll take either. But if not, then we'll come up with our own. Calvary Heritage Bible College. And we'll see what God wants to do.